Hi everyone and welcome back to the Building Brum podcast. I'm your host Connor Nolan and in this podcast I'm going to be discussing the latest development updates taking place across the region and looking at the latest themes and trends across the construction industry. We're broadcasting from Birmingham and exploring the construction industry, planning sector and architecture and design community. Just some of the topics we're going to be discussing across the series include looking at new methods of construction for housing and exploring the future of the workplace. Today, I'm being joined by Daniel Wilson, Development Manager at the award-winning house builder, Hill Group. I'll be finding out more about their approach to sustainable house building and learning why their regeneration of estates across London is being praised by the Mayor's Office. With over 19,000 homes delivered to date, I want to find out what's next for the Hill Group and what it means to them when it comes to creating communities. A big thank you to our Building Brum Podcast series supporters, Reality Capture and Point Cloud Modelling Specialists, Scantech Digital, Solus, one of the UK's leading suppliers of commercial flooring and wall tiles, and Sunbelt Rentals. With over 200,000 items of equipment, they're the largest providers of equipment hire in the UK. If you'd like to find out more about our Building Brum construction partners after today's podcast, you can visit the Building Brum website. Hi Dan, welcome to the Building Brum podcast. How are you doing? It's good to see you, Con. It's been a long, long time. Um, and I'm doing well, actually. It's, uh, it's not a great day where I am here in London. It's very overcast and, and gloomy, but, um, you know, still happy to be out and about and back in, in the office. Uh, I'm very, very happy that you've invited me today. Well, no, it's a, it's, a, it's a real shame we lost you in Birmingham. And, uh, a real gain for London. The, um, h- how are you finding it since the move? It must be quite a... Uh, is it a different change of pace going from the Midlands to London or what... what, what? What are, it, what are the big differences you find? It, it is, and um, not just a change of pace in terms of the flow of life generally, but also I'm now working for a developer. So it's in itself different to what I was doing before in terms of being a planning consultant. Um, and just the pace of life in that commercial environment is even more um, increased compared to what I was doing before. But I'm, I'm really enjoying it. There's a lot to learn. Um, but also seeing the life cycle of development is what I'm enjoying the most. So from acquisition of, of land all the way through to, you know, construction and customer service and the importance of all of those aspects within the whole development process is something I'm really, really enjoying. And it's a lot of learning taking place. So you, you, you're there right from the start and you see the project right through to, um, to completion then. Yeah. So in my role as a development manager, I get involved technically after the land is acquired um, and that could be ownership or some sort of option agreement Um, but the truth of the matter is um, from the point that we start scoping sites out I'm already involved in terms of the financial viability of the site whether it's tax um, planning policy whether it's a site that we need to release from the green belt or it's an urban site with outbound consent if it's a reserve matters application and all the rest of that but it all helps in terms of informing the strategy for the site. So I'm involved from that stage. And then when I really, really get going, it's when um, we've acquired the site in some shape or form. And then my role as a development manager is to appoint a consultant team and to take it through the planning process, get planning consent or, you know, or approval as the case may be. And then um, we hand over to our technical and our construction team who build the site, but I'm still involved Less so, but I'm still involved in terms of the discharge of conditions and of the technical aspects, which itself for me is a learning process. Um, and then it gets handed over to construction who, who build it, 
and then obviously sales and, and customer service. So and I still have a, a vested interest in it because I get to see the life cycle of the development. No, absolutely. And, and, and all of that's done within within the Hill Group the, from the from that, that the initial side with the with acquisition and kind of getting planning permission. And then also you've got you've got your own construction side of the business. That's correct. Yeah, it's all in-house. Um, it's a family-owned business um, started by Andy Hill um, just over 20 years ago. And his two sons, Greg and Tom, are also key parts of, of the management team here. And um, it's something that they've been doing, as I said, for 20 years. We, we won House Builder of the Year recently, so we must be doing something quite well. Congratulations. And a lot of other, sorry? Congratulations. Oh, yeah. I'll, I'll pass on that. Thanks to the rest of the team as well. Um, we're very, very chuffed and pleased with the hard work that we've been doing at our sort of ethos as a business in terms of sustainability, which I know we'll come on to quite shortly. Um, but yeah, it's, it's been really, really good and it's all in-house. Well, this is the thing that kind of intrigued me about, about the Hill Group. When it comes to when it comes to regeneration and, and what you're doing with developments across the South and in London, I, I, I live in Wolverhampton and I'm seeing a, a whole range of developments taking place across the region. So some of them are absolutely brilliant, like you said, with the likes with what... Um, Urban Splash are doing with generation of Port Loop, and then also if you look at um, what's happening in um, with the regeneration just beside the Royal Hospital in Wolverhampton, there's whole yeah. areas that are really kind of transforming, and, and it's brilliant to see. And um, what caught my attention with, with you guys was that real that 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 journey, that sustainability journey, and that ethos that you have kind of underpinning your developments that are taking place. Um, I saw a quote from um, who's the deputy mayor of London for regeneration, and he kind of he, he really really says some great things about how you guys are setting such a great example of how estate regeneration should be done, and I think that's really really interesting. That it's that that point of that it was a very, it was a London scheme, yeah, and it's estate regeneration and kind of your approach to coming at it. What was, do you think, the deputy mayor? It was Jules. Jules. Jules, Jules Pipe, yes. I'm deputy mayor for, I think, regeneration, planning and skills, if I, I'm not doing him a disservice. I think one of the beautiful things about working for Hill I've, I've discovered is their family-owned business, and therefore they can set the agenda as to how exactly the business is run. They're accountable um, by that agenda and they report into the board, which is you know, Andy Hill, Greg Hill and Tom Hill uh, as, the, as the, um, the owners and operators. And one thing that really struck me at the, at the early out, start of this business um, at, the, at the outset was that there was this massive sustainability agenda that really drives the business. So we spoke earlier about you know, acquiring sites with the land team internally and carrying it through the development process. Um, so when I joined Hill, um, I'm working within the Eastern region, so that covers um, Norfolk, Suffolk, um, Essex, Hertfordshire, and little bits of North London. And I'm part of that Eastern regional team with my colleague, Chloe Houston. And first day, sat down, and, you know, Dan, we've got this side come through. And the first thing we discussed was the sustainability credentials of our business and how we can impact that on the side. Never had it anywhere else I've worked before. That was the first discussion we had. And so it, it really struck me that you know, many people talk about sustainability and how that really comes to the fore. And it's, you know, in, ma in many senses, it's a buzzword these days, um, especially in the construction industry. But from day one, it was something that I had to, you know, really put to the fore of my, my thinking. And that then informs the strategy 
as to how we're bringing forward the site. So for example, on, on we've got an aim to be um, delivering biodiversity net gain across our entire business, um, it, you know, um, by 2030, I believe it is. And, you know, yeah, and that's yeah, something yeah. that we, we're starting to do on, on, on the majority of our sites going forward. So from day one, we've got the site, I'm looking at it on a, on a blank piece of paper and a red line, and we're already thinking about how we can create biodiversity net gain on the site, on the landscaping, before we even really look at the numbers we're going to be delivering and all the rest of it. And it changes your whole perspective as to how you bring forward development. When you, um, how, how do you do how do you do that though? How do you kind of come out come out of sight and without looking at it from the obvious commercial standing? It's like right, where's the return on investment? How how can we make this a viable investment and development? So you're coming at it straight away. You're saying from the sustainability side and looking at how we can make this, how we can how how, how we can look at the biodiversity of the site, how we can reduce the, the carbon of the site. So you're saying you come at it straight away as a start of 10 that initial jumping off point is the sustainability side of the site. precisely yes so we're looking at so obviously it has to stack up financially um because you know we, we are a business but i think our legacy is something that andy Hill is quite keen on in terms of how we create communities and creating communities means that the persons who are going to be living there the future residents they'll be able to walk through that particular development enjoy the flora, the fauna, um, the great crested newts if they're there, the, the, the badgers, the, the bird boxes and all those things. And there's some simple things you can do within developments to enhance the habitat and the, the life of those creatures and, and, and species that live there. And that's something, as I said, you know, that's one of the first things that we discussed on the site. Yes, it has to work financially and commercially, it has to work obviously. But, you know, once you have urban um, wildlife meadows, and things like that at the forefront of your mind, you start to think in a way that you are bringing forward development um, in terms of environmental, social, and governance. Those are the three pillars that we have at Hill um, in terms of um, our sustainability credentials. And um, you know, biodiversity, sorry, biodiversity net gain through landscaping um, and through passive house schemes in terms of how we, the materials we use. But not just that, things to do with our carbon footprint as a business. So, for example, I've got a site now in Essex, and one of the discussions that we had quite early out, even though I'm not within the construction team, is how do we get the materials from our base to the site in the most, um, not, not just commercially viable way, but in the way that it reduces our carbon footprint. And I know the construction industry is one of the um, big players in terms of you know, not having a great reputation in terms of the carbon footprint, but as a company, that's something that we're looking to change and we're trying to be one of the leaders in the industry. So that was something that was kind of mind blowing for me. What did you come up with? How did you get the materials? To the so we, we, had, we had about three options and we looked at the different routes and how long it would take in terms of the journey times. And we went for the one that was the quickest route to the site um, in terms of the impact that it would have on on um, the amount of trucks that would be carrying our materials to the site. So that would reduce the carbon footprint of that. Um, we're also looking at different means of transporting, you know, you know, trucks are becoming much more um, efficient in terms of the energy consumption. And, and we're looking at investing in, in stuff like that in terms of our supply chain. We're not there as yet. And that's why it's a goal for us to get from, you know, from now to 2021, we aim to 2030 to get from where we are now in 2021 to, to get to, uh, uh, carbon net, net zero, um, but it's 
thinking behind it, I think, is, is really good because you've got someone like me who's come into the business quite recently and I'm taking on board the sustainability criteria in terms of how I operate as a development manager. And we've got trainees who've just come into the business right after me and we're already instilling these within um, their psyche, within their ways of thinking. So in 10 years' time, when we get to 2030 and beyond, it will be normal modus operandi of the business. You know, that's what we want to instill um, in, in each and every person working at Hill. So that's just a little example as to how we're, we're doing that. But going back to your question about Jules Pipe and, and what he said, I think he was probably referring to the scheme that we've done in, um, in Camden, Agar Grove. Right. And so for that one in particular, I can tell you that we've got, I think, the leading passive house scheme, um, development scheme in the entire, in, 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 in the UK. And what we've done in terms of getting that, we've had, we have winter gardens as well. We've got air source heat pumps in that site. Um, but sustainability isn't just the environmental aspect. It's about how people actually feel on the site, the residents. So we've had a lot of drop-in sessions, um, consultation events. Um, we have a resident liaison team. And the importance of that is that we can then, coming into that community, we liaise with the local people to find out exactly what they want, what didn't work previously, how we can make the scheme greener, um, in terms of um, the carbon footprint of, of the site, um, much more efficient ways of using water, for example. Um, we've got a scheme in Cambridge, which has won a number of awards because it, it has um, recycling facilities um, on, on the ground and you can use it throughout the development in Eddington. So things like that um, is, is what we're trying to ensure that residents of our development and the people are put to the fore um, in terms of cycle parking, in terms of the footpaths that we're creating, um, just to make sure that the sustainability isn't just um, the environmental aspect, but how people actually live day to day. How do you, for, for going back to that kind of like, from at the cost point of view to deliver sustainable developments, I, I can't imagine, not only is it, like, is it cheap, but is it easy to deliver sustainable well-designed well-built homes with that goal to making the homes net zero across all developments from not, not just from a hill point of view but from like from like a, looking at it like on a, on a national point of view what 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 do you think needs to happen to kind of help us achieve this across the country in the in the years to come like what not only in the south, but like in, in, in the Midlands, in the north. What do we need to, what do we need to be seeing from, say, I don't, know, I don't know, central government or local authorities? How do we, how do we get to the to this point where you've got these great sites in in, in Cambridge and you've got the the, the Agar Estate in um in London, yeah. in area? How do we kind of, how do you see that kind of, kind of happening all across? I mean, I know it already is, but just yeah. On, on like such a, it's the new norm. I think uh, uh, Hill is quite lucky to have um, people who recognise this um, in terms of their ethos as a business as something that's a priority. But you're right, it, there needs to be a much more sort of, um, I would say government-led or joined up thinking with, with members of the industry and, and, and the third sector indeed, in terms of having a sort of guide as to how we need to be much more sustainable as, as an industry. Um, and I think uh, there, there are a few things that can be done. 
I'm on, obviously there is a next generation sustainability benchmarking, um, which is it's a program that aims to increase sort of transparency and accountability um, and the improved sustainability within the house, home building sector. Um, so it kind of examines the UK's top 25 house building firms. We, we joined that, um, in 2020 and we placed ninth um, in the first year. We're aiming to come first. And that's one of the key drivers behind our environmental, social and governance structures within our three pillars of sustainability. But I think that a lot more can be done from both the government, um, central government's um, role. Uh, you know, the blunt truth about this is that we are moving towards a much more energy efficient, green, sustainable world um, with the climate crisis, um, you know, and, and you can see you know, driving the motorways, you've got people like Insulate Britain and Extinction Rebellion who are taking, I would say, you know, extreme routes to, to bring attention to um, sustainability effectively and, and, and what needs to be done to ensure that we preserve the planet um, in perpetuity. But I think the government needs to lead a bit more and within that create national policy that would impose on developers and guide developers to create much more sustainable homes. And it could potentially be, yes, you know, it'll be a step change from what's been done for the last 20, 30, 40 years. But in the long term, the gains that we will achieve in terms of reducing the price of our energy um, from, a, from a household point of view, in terms of reducing the carbon emissions globally, um, in terms of the construction industry and, and the carbon footprint, the long term benefits of it outweighs the, the short term costs. Um, increase that you will, you will have in delivering it. And with anything that's new, you know, whether it's a, a new technology, a new car, a new phone, whatever it is, it does have, a, have an initial spike in terms of it being expensive. But then over time, that plateaus and then, you know, goes down to, to almost nil or negligible in terms of the benefits that you receive from that new technology compared to the cost of it. So I think a lot more can be done from central government in creating legislation and indeed policies that um, are geared towards the house building sector in terms of transparency, accountability, and ensuring that we are all aiming towards um, a carbon net zero um, construction and environment that we're working. The other thing that can be done is local planning policies. So councils can take a lead in terms of, you know, you know, jumping on to, I think it's chapter eight of the NPPF, which speaks about healthy communities. A lot more emphasis can be placed on that in local planning policies so that developers, when they come to an area to develop, they know that this is something that they have to deliver. So I think that that's what you, you can do. And, and also you can, so that's sort of the, the, um, the policy drivers. You can also reward it from, from, from um, local authorities' point of view in terms of you know, having schemes fly through the planning system at a quicker pace, for example, or you know, having less strenuous um, requirements if persons are delivering a highly sustainable scheme do you think can you do you think that will happen do you think that because that, that that to, to make it happen that that is that is the way it kind of it needs that that instruction it needs that it needs to be almost mandated mm. i mean i mean i do i do see i mean obviously as, as a i'm a chartered town planner by trade um and I've obviously taken up this role as a development manager at Hill, but I do still follow quite closely what's happening in terms of planning policy and politics itself in terms of, 
you know, you know, Connor yourself, that politics has a very interwoven role to play within planning and development and, and the built environment as a whole. And I think that, you know, I've, I've seen the government speaking about its levelling up agenda, um, you know, and, and um, something that they, I've been following both party conferences recently, and, and, you know, both parties are speaking about what needs to be done. But I think a lot of that's a lot of rhetoric, a lot of political will needs actually come, into, come to the fore, and we need to take much stronger action, I think, in terms of making these into policies and laws. I think a lot of talk is happening. So for example, I'm not seeing a lot of, in terms of this leveling up agenda, how are we gonna be making homes much more efficient into the future? We want to build 300 homes a year, but what types of homes are we delivering for those 300 homes a year, 300,000 homes a year? What sort of placemaking goes alongside that? What sort of um, green infrastructure, what sort of biodiversity net gain is coming alongside that? So there needs to be a bit more of joined up thinking, I believe, for this to really come to the fore and for this to be delivered in a, in a highly sustainable manner. But I'm, I'm really pleased that companies like mine, like Hill, are, are doing their bit in terms of trying to lead the industry in terms of being much more sustainable as well. Because that, that, when you see your peers doing something that is working and they're receiving accolades for it, you naturally try to see if you can replicate that. So we need leaders within the industry as well to help drive this change. Uh, I, I, absolutely. I mean, um, do you, do, you, do you see you guys like, I know this, this is probably a question, I mean, like from the way that you're doing in the South, do you see yourself, what, 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 what's the appetite for moving further north and bringing, uh, bringing these types of developments to the Midlands? I'm going to have to probably get you on to Andy Hill to speak about that <laughs> one. I'm going to get myself in trouble. I, I don't really um, know, personally speaking, what our um, geographical um, ambition is um, going further north. But I do know that we've expanded west. So we have some sites in Bristol. We've got an office in Oxfordshire. Um, we, we work as, you know, as far east as Norwich and we produce stuff along the south in terms of Sussex and the greater London area. I mean, we are growing exponentially as a business and um, we are looking for more opportunities day in, day out. I think uh, in the last five years, business has doubled in size. Oh, we've wow. got ambitions to double again in the next five years in terms of the amount of personnel that we have, the amount of resources and the amount of sites that we have. So I think the sky is the limit in terms of where we can go as, as a business. And it's very exciting to be honest, coming in I've been here now six months and I've seen my team, we've got five or six persons already growing in, in that space of time and, and the growth seems to be exponential and there's a lot of opportunities that we are we're getting involved in. But I, I think those opportunities are coming because of our ethos as a company. We're not trying to be the standard house builder, we're trying to create a good legacy and deliver homes that people will be very happy to live in. So I think that is a driver for us. No, Dan, tell you what, it's really, really good to see you today, mate. Um, thanks so much for joining me today on the podcast, telling us more about about, about, about the Hill Group. And I thought it was really interesting what you're saying about how we kind of, what it needs to take to get to that point nationwide to create a more sustainable, um, sustainable communities, sustainable developments. And yeah, it's a, it's... It's going to be an interesting journey across the next ten years. A lot of a lot of companies have got that twenty thirty target. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah, indeed, it's going to it's going to be um, one of these things that you're going to need a bit of push from the government. You're going to need a bit of push from the industry leaders, for example, the, the RTPI and Rex and so on. 
and ICE um, as those professional bodies they need to you know, be lobbying the government to bring forward this change. But that in itself, I don't think is good enough. You need industry leaders and businesses to step up to the fore and take a punt on this because the truth of the matter is this is the way forward. Um, you know, being much more green, much more sustainable, delivering biodiversity net gain across, you know, your portfolio of sites, having workshops with the local communities and delivering energy efficient homes that are well designed is the way forward. Yeah, no, absolutely. Absolutely. No, Dan, thanks so much for your time today. Really great to see you. Take care. I'll, um, see you as well. And I'll have to come up to Birmingham and, and say hi in the not too distant future. Absolutely. Absolutely. Come back. Well, no problem. Take care. Thank you so See much. You bye bye. See you bye. Thank you very much for listening and join us again where we'll be chatting with new guests every month. Coming up, we'll be talking with Wilmot Dixon Chief Sustainability Officer Julia Barrett, where we'll be taking a look at their 2030 Now or Never strategy and explore the response that they've been receiving from clients when it comes to the net zero agenda and how working and collaborating together we're going to meet the climate change targets that have been set. A big thank you once again to our Building Brum podcast supporters, Reality Capture and Pond Cloud Modelling Specialists, Scantec Digital, Solus, one of the UK's leading suppliers of commercial flooring and wall tiles, and Sunbelt Rentals. With over 200,000 items of equipment, they are the largest providers of equipment hire in the UK. If you'd like to find out more about our construction partners after today's podcast, you can visit the Building Brum website. Thanks for listening and take care, everyone.